Will you rise with me as we read the scripture this morning? It comes from the book of Matthew, the last chapter, uh, chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, where you will see him I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped to his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There we will see me, where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with them and the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say the disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this is a story that has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Bless the name of the Lord. Greetings to you all in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So last fall, if you're with us, we're in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and my, probably back that down just a little bit. We were in the sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and my nephew was visiting me from Texas, and he's sitting right up here. And uh, the passage for that day was Jesus' instruction to gouge out your eye and cut off your hand if it causes you to stumble. And as I, that was read from up here, my nephew, who I wasn't even sure was paying attention, just gasped. What? <laughs> you could just see the shock on his face. It was as if he was hearing that passage for, can you turn that down just a little bit? Thank you. It was as if he was hearing that passage for the first time. He was hearing it as it was meant to be heard. Not by ears that had become numb from hearing it time and time again, but as if it was for the first time, and he was shocked, even horrified. Maybe if my nephew were here today from Texas, maybe if you heard that story of Easter again, maybe he would gasp. Maybe he would help us see anew that this is the strangest story ever told. It is a story of fear and joy. It's why if you listen to our text today, even though it's a great greeting, Christ is risen, he is risen to, indeed. That's not the greeting. The greeting is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because all the characters in our story, if you listen to the text, are afraid. The guards are afraid. The women are afraid. And I'll argue that the disciples are afraid too. Imagine with me for a second, uh, some, uh, I was down in Columbiana Firestone Park this morning for an Easter sunrise service. 
Imagine you work for the city of Columbiana. And the assignment that you're given uh, that weekend is to go out to Firestone Cemetery and stand guard by a gravesite. The word had gotten out in Columbiana that this guy who had died on Friday, he was buried, uh, and some people were going to come up and they were going to dig out his body and they were going to drag that body out of Firestone Cemetery, and they were going to start telling a story that the guy had been raised from the dead. And your assignment was to make sure that didn't happen. Like, it'd be kind of an odd assignment, right? That's the assignment these guards are given uh, who are at Jesus' tomb. Like, make sure nobody messes with this guy's body. Make it as secure as you know how. They say, we can do that. We'll roll a big stone over a tomb. We'll stand guard. Can you put up that, that slide, Ron? So here's, here's a picture of a first century AD tomb with a rolling stone door that uh, was discovered a number of years back in northern Israel when they were widening a road. This is not the tomb that Jesus would have been buried, but it gives us a picture of a, you know, probably like the tomb and the stone that would have been there on Easter morning that they would have been guarding. So imagine you're, you know, they're drinking their coffee. And all of a sudden, there's this violent earthquake, and this angel who looks like lightning is standing before them. I don't know exactly what lightning personified looks like, but I'm imagining it's pretty intense. Angel takes this very large stone, and uh, the guards had so carefully placed, and, and he rolls it away. I kind of imagined the angel doing it with one finger. And then he sits on the stone. I love in the story that the angel decides to sit on the stone. Now, the angel could have hung out anywhere at the graveside, could have sat or stood anywhere, but the angel chooses to sit on the stone. It's like, you mean this stone? Was this the stone that was supposed to seal up the tomb and keep it secure? It's like Easter Day trash talk. I think it's great. And the guards lose it. We read in the text that they're so afraid they start to shake like dead men. Notice the irony here. Like these guys, these guards, their job is to guard a dead man. And they themselves have become like dead men. And where's the dead guy that these guards are supposed to be guarding? He's gone. The guys who are alive are shaking like dead men. And the guy who is dead is somewhere out on the loose. And just to be clear, like the angel doesn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. Jesus doesn't rise on Easter morning and then just kind of stand there and be like, okay, when are you coming? <laughs> when are you coming to get this stone out so I can start moving out? No, somewhere he's gone. He slips out, gives the guards that you can't see me and walks right past him. So that's our scene, right? Angel chilling on top of a stone. Guards are quaking like dead men. And up come two women, both named Mary. Now, in Matthew's account, we know why the guards are there. Right? Make sure nobody steals the body. But at least in Matthew's account, from the other accounts, we have some idea what the women are doing. But in Matthew's account, we don't really know why they're there. But something draws them there. Something draws them to Jesus. They just want to be close to Jesus, even if it's a dead Jesus, which would fit these women, because that's what they've been doing the whole time. On Friday at the crucifixion, the women were there. In the burial, they were opposite the tomb, watching as Jesus' body was wrapped and placed in a tomb. Now it's Sunday, and they can't help themselves. They want to be close to Jesus, even if it is to a dead Jesus. 
And when Mary and Mary pull up on the scene, like the guards, they are terrified. Angel of the Lord has to calm them down, has to look at them and say, you, you don't need to be afraid. The, the, the English doesn't quite capture what the Greek is what's happening here because there's an emphatic you. You, Mary and Mary, you don't need to be afraid. These guys who are quaking like dead men, just ignore these guys. But you, you don't need to be afraid. Why don't the women need to be afraid? Because they have prior experience talking with angels sitting on stones in front of empty tombs with corpse on the loose? No. The women are afraid because they know something strange has happened, and it's going to get even stranger from here because the women will leave this place and they will head out and they will run into Jesus who greets them with a, Hi. It's, the greeting is incredibly common. Hello. Hi. The women's response is not ordinary because they collapse to the ground and they start to worship Jesus. They're afraid, right? What are Jesus' first instructions to the women? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because Easter is a frightening story. It's a strange story. I don't know if this is the 95th time that you've been in a church or this church on Easter or if it's your first I don't know why you're here. You may here, be here because you want to be here. You may be here because you were forced to be here. You may be here because that's just what you do on Easter. You may not even know why you're here. That's okay. You're welcome. However you showed up, I hope you can recognize that this is a strange story. This is a strange story because guys that are dead on Friday don't get up and walk on Sunday. Not then, not now. Imagine pulling up here this morning. You got your coffee in your hand. You're looking forward to that donut. There's your grandfather standing, one you buried out here years and years ago. You think you're going to run up and give him a hug? You're delusional. You're white as a ghost at this point. You are shaking like a dead man because that guy standing at the door is supposed to be out here. He was buried long ago, and yet he stands in front of you. Easter is a scary prospect because tombs aren't supposed to be empty and dead people aren't supposed to be out walking around then or now. It's a long time ago, Matthew. We know different now. You don't think that people back then knew that when people died, they were dead? That's what we call chronological snobbery. See, the Jewish people, they had this idea that at the end of time, there would be a general resurrection of the dead. Everyone would rise from the dead. Some had come to believe that by this point. But nobody was looking for a man to rise from the dead in the middle of history. That's why everybody's afraid, because that doesn't happen. But go back to the angel. Go back to the angel in the tomb with me. The, he says to the women, you, you don't need to be afraid. Why? Because you're looking for Jesus. Because you're on the right track. Again, I don't know if this is the 95th time or the first time, but I hope you're still looking for Jesus. Even if you found Jesus a long time ago, even if you've known Jesus your whole life, I hope you're still looking for Jesus. I hope you're still searching for Jesus. I hope there's a desperation in you to just get near Jesus. You might be like these two women. You're looking for Jesus. You don't even really know why you're looking for Jesus. You might be afraid if, it, if you bump into Jesus, what's going to happen? But don't stop looking for Jesus. Don't stop pursuing Jesus. You're on the right track. So if you look at this scene, pan out with me. We got Matthew's scene here. We got three different parties. We got the guards. We got the women. We got the angel. They're all at the same place. 
They're all experiencing the same thing, right? Guards see the stone is rolled away. Women see the stone is rolled away. Guards encounter an angel sitting on the stone. The women encounter an angel sitting on the stone. Same experience, very different response. How do the guards respond to the angel empty tomb? At some point, right, they're shaken like dead men, but at some point they pull it together and they walk back to the city and they report what happened. And the, the people there uh, meet them and they say, no, no, that's not what happened. What happened is that while you were asleep during the night, uh, this guy's disciples came and stole him away. And at this point, the guards sort of said, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, first of all, why do we look so bad in this story? Like, we look like the Keystone Cops here. Secondly, this is not a very plausible story. Like, if we're sleeping, how do we know it was the disciples that stole the body? And third, the guards should have said, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. They could have said, that's not what happened. I don't even really know what happened. I know we showed up. I know there was this thing like lightning. I know there was an earthquake. I know there was an empty tomb. I don't understand what it all means, but I'm going to find out. They could have done that, right? They experienced the same thing the women had at that point, but they didn't. Right? They took a little bit of money, made up a story, and went on with their lives. Two groups of people, the guards and the women, both experienced the empty tomb, both have an encounter with the angel, and both are sent off in very different directions. See, the question is not whether Easter is a frightening prospect. It is, if you know what you're encountering. The question is, what are you going to do with your fear? It's not enough to show up on Easter morning and say, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, as if it's some naked historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead. Abraham Lincoln was shot in a theater. Cleveland Browns are terrible every year. Those are all true, but they don't mean the same thing. Too many Browns fans, I guess, in here today for that joke. Um, Jesus' empty tune is not some naked historical fact that you affirm and then you go on with your day. You go eat ham or you go eat peeps or whatever you eat on Easter. The question then and now, when you encounter the empty tune on Easter morning, is this. Will it make you shake like the dead or move like you're alive? See, the guards shook with fear, but it didn't shake up their life because they had missed an opportunity. According to Matthew, think about that. The guards are the first ones to witness what's happening, that something really strange is happening. They encounter the empty tomb. They encounter the angel. What do they do? They take a few bucks, and they're a lot poorer for it. This should, this should kind of frighten us because it shows us how e you think it's easy uh, here to show up and to just go on with your day and go on with your week like nothing happened. Those guys were at the empty tomb, and they did it. Empty tomb. Angel just went on with their lives. You don't think that we're in danger of doing that? We are. The guards shook with fear but didn't shake up their life. But the women are on the right track because they're looking for Jesus. They're afraid. They don't have the answers. They don't understand what's happening. But they're on the hunt for Jesus. Don't be afraid, the angels say to the women, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Listen to this, just as he said. See, if the tomb's not empty, Jesus was badly, badly deluded. Jesus has been telling his disciples again and again, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to rise from the dead. Again, we're in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount that we're about to finish up. Jesus is a good teacher. He's a great teacher. 
In the gospel accounts, he does some pretty amazing miracles. At the end of the day, if the tomb's not empty, Jesus is a religious martyr who was badly, badly deluded about who he was. Don't miss that. Tomb's not empty. Jesus is delusional. The story's over. I was listening to an interview this week with a preacher and writer named Fleming Rutledge, and she wrote a whole big book about the crucifixion, and she said this. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we would never have heard of him. He said it again. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we would never have heard of him. We don't know, Rutledge says, the names of anybody who was crucified before Jesus. Why? Because the purpose of crucifixion was to erase a human being from the memory of humanity. To communicate to people, if you mess with the state, this is what happens. You get treated like a dog. You get tortured to death. You get put up on a stick for everyone to see. And you get erased from the memory of humanity. In other words, your story ends at the cross. And if Jesus' story ends at the cross, you know who gets the last word? Injustice gets the last word word then and now. Suffering gets the last word then and now. Satan gets the last word then and now. Death gets the last word then and now. Sin gets the last word then and now. For Mary Magdalene, let's make this more personal. For Mary Magdalene, shame gets the last word. Because we've read in another gospel account that before Mary started following Jesus, she, was, she had seven demons in her. She was a shameful outcast. You wouldn't want to be near Mary. But Mary, after that encounter with Jesus, she had reoriented her life around Jesus. She started using her money to support his ministry. She started following him around. It's a beautiful story of redemption. But for Mary, if the tomb is not empty, that story is over. The joy of Easter is that sin and death and injustice and suffering and shame, they may get a word and they get words, but they don't get the last word. They don't get the last word because Christ the conqueror has gone to battle with the powers of sin and death and Satan and he has emerged victorious. The story isn't over. The story keeps going. And because the story keeps going, the story must go forth. That's now the job of the women, to bring the story to the world. I love this. Women get to be apostles to the apostles. <laughs> Think about that. Women get to be apostles to the apostles. Go quickly, the angel tells them, and tell the disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead and will meet them in Galilee. And the angel says, maybe my favorite line in the text, now I've told you. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Passed on the message. Accurate. The women take off, afraid. Notice they're still afraid, right? Still afraid. They're filled with joy now. They're alive. They're blasted out in a mission. They have a purpose to go out and spread the word that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. When you encounter the empty tomb, you will shake like the dead, and you can go back to your old life. Or you can be made alive like these women. You can be given joy and purpose in your life to go out and announce the world that the tomb is empty. There's one more fearful group in our story that I want to talk about. It's Jesus' disciples. Now, the text doesn't tell us that Jesus' disciples are scared, but we know they are terrified right now. We know because the last time, if you go back in Matthew's gospel, the last time we read about the disciples, they're with Jesus. He's getting arrested. They all desert him. They all desert him and fled. Right? The, the, Peter talks a big game. When the stuff hits the fan, he's out of there. They're all out of there. They flee. They desert Jesus. 
What's the, what's the, think about this. What is the worst thing a friend or a brother or sister can do to you? Maybe the worst is to abandon you in your hour of need. When life falls apart for you, that's when you know who are your friends and who are your brothers and sisters because they stand by you. Jesus, at his greatest moment of need, he is utterly abandoned by his disciples, by his friends. You know, Judas wasn't the only one who betrayed Jesus. They all, in a sense, betrayed Jesus. They all turned their back on Jesus. Peter, one he calls a rock, turns out he's a coward. Jesus is out on the prowl, resurrected body, tells the women, I got a message, go tell those yellow-bellied, backstabbing disciples of mine to meet me at the woodshed. Maybe that's the message you and I would have sent. It's not the message Jesus sends. Don't be afraid, he says to the women, go and tell, listen to this, my brothers, to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Did you hear that? Go tell my brothers. Brothers, Jesus? The guys that abandoned you in your hour of need, turned their back on you, were coward. These are your brothers? This is your band of brothers? See, something really strange is happening on Easter morning. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The tomb's not empty. There is nothing that's going to restore those 11 guys. It's going to redeem those 11 guys. They're a bunch of failures. They're a bunch of cowards. But the tomb is empty. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, which means there's a power on the loose there's a power that can transform deserters into disciples. There's a power that can transform cowards who flee from Jesus to martyrs who will die for Jesus. There's a power who can transform those who deny the name of Jesus to those who will turn the world upside down by proclaiming the name of Jesus. Easter morning is good news to the fearful. To those of you who are like the women searching for Jesus, maybe you don't even know why you're searching for Jesus, the message is don't be afraid, you're on the right track. Don't stop looking for Jesus. But Easter morning is also good news to those who know they are way off track. Who think they're beyond redemption, beyond forgiveness, beyond the grace of God. The message from Jesus is, brother, sister, meet me in Galilee. All is forgiven. But I screwed up, Jesus. You mean you screwed up like Peter? You denied Jesus three times and then you cursed him? You might be giving yourself a little too much credit. No, 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 you don't understand. If you knew, if the people here knew what I'm like, the thoughts I've had in my head, the things I've done, the things in my heart. No. So you're saying that Jesus can take on Satan and death and the cosmic powers of sin, but he can't handle your sins, you are delusional. Don't you be afraid. That's the message then and now. I don't care what is in your past, don't be afraid. A power's on the loose, and it's on its way to Galilee. Let me close with one final type of fear found on Easter morning, and it's the fear of the danger that we've crossed over. I keep telling you, I keep trying to convince you that Easter is a frightening story. And part of what is so frightening about Easter is that so many of us never recognize the danger we've been in. A Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, tells a story, a legend about a writer who is riding through the night. And it's winter, it's in Switzerland, and he's anxious to reach the town that lies on the other side of a great lake, Lake Constance. 
And his plan is to get to the lake and spend the night there. And then the next day he will cross over that lake by ferry. So he rides and he rides, never knowing how far he's gone. It's blowing, it's snowy. He doesn't know how fast he's traveled. And finally he reaches after the dark. And he stops and he asks a woman, how much farther to the lake? And she tells him, do you realize what you just did? Do you realize the danger you were in? You were crossing a frozen lake. And the rider is horrified. He breaks down and collapses when he realizes the danger he's escaped by crossing a frozen lake in darkness. And Bart says, this is the human situation. When the sky opens and the earth is bright, when we may hear, by grace you have been saved. In such a moment, we are like that terrified rider. When we hear this word, we involuntarily look back, do we not, asking ourselves, where have I been? Over an abyss in mortal danger? What happened? I was doomed and miraculously escaped, and now I'm safe. You ask, Bart continues, do we really live in such danger? Yes, we live on the brink of death, but we have been saved. Look at our Savior and our salvation. Look at Jesus Christ on the cross, accused, sentenced, and punished in our place. We are on the other side of the lake. We are on the other side of cross and resurrection. We have reached the shore. Lake Constance is behind us. We may breathe freely, even though we are still gripped by panic, and rightly so. If you and I really understand Easter morning, what God has done to forgive us, restore us, heal us, remake us, we will be gripped with fear at what a perilous place we have been and crossed over. We have been on the brink of death, we have been riding recklessly over a frozen lake, and we will be overwhelmed with relief and joy. We are safe. Joy comes on Easter, but only after the first wave of fear. If you don't experience the fear of Easter, you cannot experience the joy of Easter. The joy that those who put their trust in the risen Christ are forgiven, the joy that new life is now possible. We gasp, we collapse, we worship Jesus. That's what the women do. What do the women do? They encounter Jesus and they collapse. They grab onto his ankles and in joy they worship him. Now I've told you.